I love our worship time in music. I know this is Christmas. Today we're going to be talking about the suffering Messiah. And I'd like to ask you, have you ever been abandoned or forsaken? This is the third week of Advent. We are looking at Advent and Christmas through the lens of the Psalms. During our first uh, Advent message, we discussed the longing and the waiting of Israel for its Messiah. And as Christ followers, we believe that Christ was that Messiah and somehow... They misunderstood his coming. But we as Christ followers are longing and waiting for his second coming. But we don't wait passively. We wait actively, serving him and loving him and serving one another and sharing Christ. Last week, we emphasized that we must live between the two comings of Christ. That is, when he came on Christmas and when he comes again. And during this time, we all experience both the wilderness of suffering while at the same time the sweet communion of knowing that Jesus is with us. So today, we're going to look a little closer at the doctrinal and theological issues of his first coming when he was a baby the 33 and a half years that he lived on this earth, his perfectly sinless life had purpose. And it was to die in our stead because of our sin. And in Psalm 22, we're going to see what it means that he died for us. He was the suffering Messiah. As you look at the very first verse of chapter 22, you will immediately recognize that these are words that Jesus said from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22, we're going to look at a little bit of David and his sufferings. One of the things I really want you to understand, and this is where we're going to go with this, not only did Christ suffer for us, but because he suffered what he suffered, he understands where we are. Look at verse 2. We're going to go through some of the verses, selected verses in 22, so you can see about the suffering. Oh, my God. I cry by day, day, but you do not answer me. And by night, but I find no rest. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Many bulls encompass me. 
Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Do you hear the cry of anguish? David was experiencing that. And some of you have experienced this type of abandonment in the past. And it's been difficult for you to trust anyone since then. Some of you have been able to forgive but it might be harder to forget because being forsaken is a terrible thing. Now, it is not clear whether David wrote this psalm when he was running from King Saul before David became king or if he is running into the wilderness Because his son Absalom has taken over the throne and is pursuing him. But here's what we do know. David is in deep anguish. And he felt abandoned by God. This psalm expresses some of the most intense emotions that you will find in our human existence. David is in dreadful pain, not only because of his circumstances, but because he feels that God does not hear him and does not care about him. We all wonder at times why a loving father would stand idly by while we are in such distress. But if you get to read the whole psalm, You see that even in this extreme distress, David never loses faith. He never falls into complete hopelessness. In the midst of his anguish, he does have faith. He remembers God's past faithfulness to Israel. Verses 4 and 5. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. David is filled with memories of God's faithfulness to ensure himself and us of God's faithfulness now. He knows that God 
can help. Because of that, he turns to God as his only help. See, the second part of the psalm, David turns complaint into praise. In verse 22, he says, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. In verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. Now, he is saying this in the wilderness. The psalm begins with feelings of failure and ends with certainty of victory. The psalmist proclaims that God does not turn his back on the afflicted. Verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. David is expressing all kinds of emotions. He feels worthless and vulnerable, and he sees contempt in the eyes of his enemies. He compares himself with a dog. He feels less than human. They are insulting him, despising him, mocking him for his faith in God. And God is not rescuing him at this time. And is not this what we see with Jesus on the cross? The bones of his hands and his arms, his shoulders and pelvis are out of joint. The profuse perspiration caused by this intense suffering. The heart is affected. Strength exhausted. He's extremely thirsty. His hands and feet have been pierced. Either total or partial nudity to embarrass the one hanging on the cross. All these things that we see David writing, they take place in crucifixion in general, but specifically the New Testament writers saw that this was a depiction of the Messiah. Now some of you who this may be your first trip to Amelia Baptist Church might be asking, this is Christmas. Why are we speaking of his death? Isn't Christmas about lights and gift-giving? Some of us will need to work around Christmas. Some of us will have a few days off. Most of us will enjoy being with family, while some of us will endure the season alone or with family that has lost its love for one another. It's a mixed time. And I know it's easy for us to think that Christmas is about us and how it's supposed to make us feel. But my dear friends, Christmas is about the incarnation of Christ. Incarnation may be a new word for some of you. It means God becoming flesh. Emmanuel means God with us. Our understanding, as much as we can see from Scripture, is that God is immortal. There's all kinds of Scripture in the Old and New Testament that depicts him as immortal. He cannot die. And yet Jesus took on humanity by being born on the first Christmas day, so to speak, 
in order to be able to die. Here are some verses from the New Testament concerning Christ and his deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh incarnate and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son uh, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said in John 10, I and my Father are one. He identified himself completely with God the Father. He claimed to be the same nature as the Father. The Jews considered this blasphemy. That's the reason they tried to kill him. He made himself to be God. Jesus tells us this in John 14. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What is Jesus saying? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Paul understood this. And when he was writing in his letters, he he wrote things like this, referring to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is, not was before all things, he is before all things. Paul understood that this was Yahweh in the flesh and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things. No man would ever say that about himself unless he was a liar lunatic, or he indeed is telling the truth and he is Lord. We have very few other options when we hear what Jesus said about himself and what others wrote about him after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. But since God is immortal, and I really don't mean this to be a philosophy lesson, I just want you to understand how complex the incarnation and his death really is. Since God is immortal, how can he die on the cross? God cannot die. Hebrews 10 tells us this, Therefore, when he, Christ, came into the world, he said, the Father, A body you have prepared for me. God prepared in the incarnation a body for Christ. He took on humanity so that he would be able to die. Jesus is not merely God encased in a body. His humanity is as real as his divinity. 
inside and out. Many of the cults and even those in mainstream Christianity try to so simplify this that they lose the mystery of who God is and who Jesus is and they come up with other ideas about who Jesus is. Though fully and truly God, Jesus did not exercise his rights or his prerogatives as God while he was here. He ceased, he never ceased to be who he was while becoming a man, even in his death. Paul tries to put this together in Philippians chapter 2. Although from the beginning he had the nature of God, he did not reckon his equality with God a treasure to be tightly grasped. Nay, he stripped himself of his glory and took on him the nature of a bond servant by becoming a man like other men and being recognized as truly human, he humbled himself and even stooped to die, yes, to die on the cross. Jesus accepted for a while the limitations of being a human. In his incarnation, he chose to be limited to a place at a particular time, refusing to exercise what he had always had, and that was omnipresence. And what comes with humanity? Suffering. You see, Jesus lived in continuous fellowship with the Father. He lived in continuous obedience to the Father. He lived in continuous dependence upon the Father. And as a result, he lived in continuous empowerment from the Father. Some wish to make God one-dimensional, that God is love. And listen, I am so glad he is. But this is not his only quality. In Romans, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness an unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That may sound foreign to some of our ears. Do you know why we have such a negative, visceral reaction to pedophiles and those who destroy our children? It's because we love children. God hates sin because he loves us. God cannot simply overlook sin. He cannot pretend that it didn't happen. So in order to address this issue, he did the impossible. The creator of all things became part of his creation to become a sacrificial lamb because of our sin. 
Jesus absorbed God's punishment for our sin. And Jesus is God incarnate with all the qualities that also make up a human. Here on the cross, we see Jesus, fully God, fully man, experiencing death, sensing forsakenness, while all the time, listen, that God remains eternal and immortal. We have a God who has done the impossible. He experiences death while remaining eternally alive. Jesus cried out because as he was dying upon this cross in deep pain, felt forsaken. All the while remaining in perfect union with his father. Remember what verse 24 in Psalm says? For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried out to him. So to some of us who are skeptics, who are trying to get our arms around this, this is the price of the salvation for all those who come to Christ. And to those who view God as an apathetic super deity who does not care about our sufferings, I tell you to look at the cross. There you will find the New Testament picture of who God is. He dies for us. We come to him in repentance and faith. You see, God can understand your despair and your feelings of abandonment because he experienced those same things. God loves us. And he also became the object of his own judgment. God loves us and became the sacrifice for our sin. This is love. He did something for us that we cannot do ourselves He is also the one who calls you to himself. Come to him. Confess your sorrow for your sin. Place your faith in Jesus who is the suffering Messiah. And he will give to you that which you've been longing for the whole time. But it came at a great price. Much more than we could ever comprehend Listen, I believe what the scripture says about Jesus, but I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how many degrees you can acquire, it will still be above your pay grade. In a few moments, we're going to be taking communion. This is a time of reflection and meditation. Well, what should I meditate on? Jesus said to his disciples, in remembrance of me. They did not understand that when he said it, but after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, and they began to take communion, they understood that there was a price beyond all comprehension for their salvation. We meditate on his death. That's the price.
this is a time to place your faith in Christ if you haven't. For he is the suffering Messiah who was crucified and is now risen. Would you pray with me? Father, in the stillness of these next few moments, even as we sing or as we hear and read the words, we will wait for you. Some people here have been waiting a long time for you to open their eyes to the beauty of Christ. Some of us have been in distress and have been waiting for you. Some of us have been forsaken and we're waiting for you. But Father, in this waiting and in this singing, would you come to us and show yourself powerful, merciful, and loving. We ask in Jesus' name.